Welcome to Impossible Podcasts, as we discuss Harry Potter. I'm Sarah Barrow. And I'm Susie Knuckles. So, welcome back, Susie. You've braved joining us again. Um, I say us, you're actually only joining me. Um, there's only the two of us for this one. But uh, you've come back to Impossible Podcasts to um, discuss well, my main obsession, which is Harry Potter. Um, and it's also actually how we met. We did meet through... Harry Potter Society? We did. Um, I was Harry Potter Society president at Cardiff University in my third year, and Susie, silly, silly, silly person, <laughs> followed in my footstep two years later. Two years later? Well, I'm president this year. So, so yeah, two years later, um, also became president. I had nothing to do with that, I swear. But So that's how we originally met, but now we're, uh, we share a few obsessions now, but a big one that we're here to discuss this evening is Harry Potter. So... When we decided to do this one, there was a great risk that we could spend hours and hours discussing Harry Potter, which would be slightly boring for some listeners. So we're going to start with some 10 quickfire questions. So one word answers, just to get us started, because otherwise we could go off on wild tangents um, and never get back to actually finishing this podcast. So 10 questions, Susie. Okay. Split second answer. So answer whatever comes into your head first, and then you can ask me. Okay. Harry or Ron? Ron. Death Eater, Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix. Porky or flu? Porky. Potions or charms? Charms. Cat or owl? Owl. Chaser or beater? Chaser. Bertie Bots or licorice ones? Bertie Bots. Pumpkin juice or butterbeer? Butterbeer. Gryffindor or Slytherin? Gryffindor. Books or films? Books. (laughs) (laughs) Only slight hesitation there. Okay. Uh, my turn to ask you some questions. Yes. Ron or Hermione? Hermione. Butterbeer or fire whiskey? Butterbeer. Ministry of Magic or Order of the Phoenix? Order of the Phoenix. Broomstick or apparition? Broomstick. Cat or toad? Cat. Defense against the dark arts or transfiguration? Defense against the dark arts. Chocolate frogs or pumpkin pasties? Chocolate frogs. Seeker or keeper? Seeker. Ravenclaw or Hufflepuff? Ravenclaw. And books or films? Books. <laughs> So, when given the choice between books or films, we both to- chose the books. I think that is the obvious choice yes, for that Harry is, Potter fans. Yeah, I think it is, yeah. But um, some of our listeners already know that I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, regardless of medium. But um, are you a fan of the films, Susie? I do like the films as well. I do think they're quite well done. So, one of the questions was picking between um, the Hogwarts houses. So, um, for... Any listeners that don't know, Susie and I were sorted in the society. I'm a Slytherin and... I'm a Hufflepuff. Yes. Um, so, But they weren't our options in the questions we got. Susie, you chose Gryffindor and I chose Ravenclaw. And that's mainly, I'm fairly certain, due to the fact that that's what was sorted in onto Pottermore. So for those listeners who don't know, Pottermore is a website that was launched, partially launched uh, at the end of last year to... Was it a million people? Oh, yeah. there, was a, there was a competition for so many people to win early access um, to the website, which basically contains extra information from J.K. Rowling. Um, it's an interactive website. Um, both Susie and I got early access um, at the end of last year, and it officially opened to everybody last month. I think so. Uh, and it's also, also the only place you can buy the Harry Potter ebooks, but not the audiobooks. But you can buy the audiobooks there as well. But I already own the audiobooks. <laughs> uh, I don't yet own the ebooks. I have resisted. I didn't think I would. I think I might get the ebooks. I know. They're quite I good. I don't have the audiobooks. So. I have all the books, all the audiobooks. And I will have 
all the ebooks and, and I have all the films. So both of us have been on Pottermore for a few months now, and there's been various annou- announcements of we've been going along, isn't there, from Pottermore? Uh, the latest of which was today, uh, which was a tidbit that they've now uh, made some excerpts from library books available to read on Pottermore. So some of the Hogwarts library books um, have now got snippets you can read. Um, and in preparation, Susie and I tried to find these snippets on the Pottermore website and failed miserably until we Googled where they are. There's been one of the problems with Pottermore is that the it's not been the easiest website to navigate or to find out how it works, even in when it, well, certainly in the early days of its beta yeah, testing. I had severe problems when I started using it. I couldn't get anywhere in the books. It's really, it's quite difficult. And also they didn't really announce necessarily everything. Like you can only actually access the first book at the moment. So there's lots of images and information stuff, but it's all about Philosopher's Stone. They still haven't released, despite the website being online for ages now. I won't work out how many months. But... And I think this is the sort of, they're going to drip feed us information for years, I think. I think they're going to keep fiddling about with the website for ages as well. Like, when we first had it, you couldn't get any sounds, and then they added sound to it. Yeah, I mean, when we were first on it, it's understandable that there were parts that were restricted, because we were beta testing it. But it's now been open to the pub- to the, the general public for, well, nearly a month now. Um, and there's still bits of it that you can't get to. There's still padlocks on certain bits. and So I assume they're just going to drip feed everybody for, like, years, probably. I just hope that, because another thing that was announced after the books, all seven books had been finished, was that she was going to do an encyclopedia. And I'm just concerned that this is instead of the encyclopedia. There was a lot of talk about when they mm. announced it. it was, is this going to be the replacement of the encyclopedia? And I still hope there is an encyclopedia, though. I know she still talked about it, but I can't remember whether that's since Pottermore or before Pottermore. But I hope she still releases it. But then it must be quite a task to try and get all the information she's got into an encyclopedia. Although we did mention on this podcast before that maybe she's actually just going to write sort of several volumes of an encyclopedia. <laughs> which would be one way to make money, which is people's main complaints about the Harry Potter franchise is that some of it's just there to make money. At least Pottermore you can get on for free and you get can, all that information Yeah, that free. is true. That is all free. Um, I'm sure you can pick most of the books up for fairly cheap now and the films. I didn't think the ebooks were that badly priced either. No, because the first the first three are just over a five, aren't they? And then the others are seven and eight. Yeah, I think so. And then it's forty to buy all all seven, isn't it, at once? Which isn't too bad. No, hence why I'm contemplating buying all of them. Compared to the audiobooks, which are a lot more expensive. The audiobooks are a lot more expensive. It's an o- over a hundred quid to buy all. But then again, I've bought them all over the years, and I've probably paid in excess of that. But I've paid it several years apart because I've bought them as they've come out the same as the books. So audiobooks are quite expensive, often. I don't really buy audiobooks at all. Well, so I never I did, know. really, until Harry Potter. It's a mark of, of how much I love a book if I own it in audiobook. So I own very few books in audiobook. But um, Harry Potter was the first one. But I own them all on CD now. I think I've got some famous five audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're probably on cassette. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I used to have... I used to have books one through four on cassette harry potter that's how long ago i was buying them on audiobook they actually still release them on cassette they don't anymore needless to say they only release them on cd but of course if you buy them through the website you buy them digitally i assume yeah so you don't even have a cd of them then because i have got all the cds so talking of 
what J.K. Rowling is doing at the moment. Uh, obviously, recently we had the announcement of her new book, which is called The Casual Vacancy. Um, and it's an adult book this time. Are you planning on reading it? I will probably read it. Are you planning on reading it just because she wrote it? Yeah, I, I, I think if, like, looking at the book, I think if it came out and it wasn't J.K. Rowling... You wouldn't look twice at it. I'd just not yeah. buy it. <laughs> not bother. I think we we discussed in our last points of who the new book, because it had just been announced. And I think we basically said, yeah, I think it's going to go a long way, purely because it's got her name on it. But I probably will read it. I hope she returns the encyclopedia idea at some point. It'd just be quite nice to have all that information in one place, because although Pottermore is quite nice, and the artwork on there is very good, and but it, it, it's really hard to find yeah, information. Yeah, you do have to go searching yeah. for that bit of that chapter. And... and you can't suddenly think, oh, I need to... Because, obviously, in our lives, we do suddenly think, oh, I need to know this about Harry Potter. Because <laughs> that's the sort of lives Susie and I lead, is that we need to know random facts about Harry Potter. Well, actually, most people just ask me, but occasionally I need to know things that I don't know the answer to. Um, and it would be much easier to look it up in a book. Of course, we could just look it up in the actual books, but not all the answers are necessarily it, it, it in the books. It would be nice to have something with, like, an index. So you yeah. Can, I need to know about this subject. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. So it would still be nice to have an encyclopedia in book form. As opposed to Pottermore, which has all the information on it. You can't even search Pottermore, though. No, you can't search Pottermore, and I can't find things on Pottermore very easily at all. I don't get that, because you've had to go more than me, the whole, there are functions on the website where you can duel other other people on the website, and you can make potions and things. You've used that more than me, yes. Susie, but, because I can't work it out. I, I know it? how to do it, it's, I can't, I'm not very good at it, though. So how does the, the dueling work? The dueling, you have to, like, hit the letter when it comes up like for the spell oh, it's okay. very strange and basically you're doing it at your end the other person's doing it at their end and it's whoever does better is it I yeah assume. okay it doesn't have to be at the same time though you basically you pick a house that you want to duel and then you try and get the highest score you can okay and then someone from that house will be like oh i want to okay they want to challenge you yeah so essentially it's like draw something out yes it's delayed <laughs> this is the latest craze that but it's a delay, so you do it at your end and you wait for someone to reply. So you're yeah. not having to do it in real time, then? No. Oh, okay, I thought you have to do it in real time. See, this is why, probably why I haven't worked it out. Because I can't click the things in the right... And I was rubbish at the potion making as well. I keep blowing up I'm my... I'm really poor at the potion making. It's really hard to use. It just sort of stuff spins around. Because you're supposed to... What's I'm the... trying to pour the... things into it and it just goes all over the place. <laughs> We're just throwing our potion ingredients across the screen. Because it's, it's a cure for boils, the basic one, isn't it? Yeah. And I can't, I'm dying of boils because I can't, I can't work it out. It's easier on the, have you ever played the, the computer games, the PC games? I've played some of them. Because it's on, I think it's on the one, the Half-Blood Prince one, the potion making. And that, I haven't played that. Once you can, it's, it's a similar setup to the website, but it's much easier in that game than it is on the website. The control is a lot better so that, yeah, you yeah. are picking things up and pouring them. But the control is much better, so you don't just end up tipping it everywhere, which is or dropping porcupine quills in where you don't <laughs> want them and things. Because the the main problem I had it was with depth perception on the screen, because obviously it's not you know, and it's very difficult to tell. But I was a bit rubbish at that as well. It hasn't been, it hasn't lived up to what I thought it was going to when they announced it. Really, no, I don't know about whether for I you. had high hopes and it didn't really meet those expectations. No, I mean it's nice to know we've got some backstory on some characters and stuff, but. I think, like, the additional information is mm. good, but the way that they've 
done it isn't particularly easy to use and yeah. it gets a bit boring. Because I was kind of hoping it'd be a bit like J.K. Rowling's website at the time. So, because for listeners who don't know, a while back J.K. Rowling had a website which it was an interactive website, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was her personal and... website, but you could click on things and, and you found bits of tidbits of information. And I wonder whether that's where she got the idea for Pottermore from. But it's on much a bigger scale, obviously. But you could, if you typed, what was it? If you typed two six uh, six two four four two into the telephone, you got you found secret information on the website and things. So you got first drafts of a page of the first book, or something, you know, right back at the beginning of things. And I thought it was going to be a bit more like that, but it's not really. Well, it's difficult to find things, but <laughs> it's difficult to find things. There's no logic to finding them. I think it's less of a gameish thing mm. than I would have expected. Like I thought maybe you'd have to do something to get the information, but you have to find it, which is Yeah, you just have to find easy. it. That's as I said, there's no logic to it. I mean, before like putting six two four four two into a mobile phone made sense. It's the code yeah. for those who don't know, to enter the Ministry of Magic through the Muggle entrance. It spells magic on a numerical keyboard. So things like that made sense and you you put potion agreements together and you found things. Whereas this one, it's just a case of look and then you and click And if you things. can work out that double-clicking is zooming, that's always a good start. I know, start. the double-click to zoom. A lot of people didn't know that for a long time. And anyone who doesn't, double-click and you can zoom in on things. I think they but, should have had some sort of instructions when you went on Postmore. Like, this is how you navigate. I think they should have done. I think they should still should. Because <laughs> yeah. we couldn't find the library to save our lives this afternoon when we were looking for the excerpts from books. and things. So, obviously, there were quite a few different areas of where the the Harry Potter books have gone. And another one, which we've discussed to some extent on this podcast before, is the theme parks and the studio tour. Now, unfortunately, Alex and Charlotte, who were going to join us today, couldn't be with us, but they've actually both been to the theme park, haven't they? Yes. Um, lucky people. They've actually been to the theme park in Florida. Florida. They didn't go together, did they? They went separately, no, did they? No, they went with their families. Ah, okay. I haven't been, needless to say. But I have been to the studio tour. I haven't been to that either. <laughs> um, and the studio tour was very good. But you were saying just before we started recording, Susie, is that you were wishing we get a theme park here. Yeah, because they've they've announced that they're opening new theme parks in America as well as one in Japan. Yeah. But they haven't announced one for England or even Europe. No. I think the studio tour is probably our shot at that. Which is a shame because we're not, we're not that bad. Pete may disagree with me on this, but we're not that bad at theme parks in this country. No, I think I think the theme parks that we have are, but it's just a case. Okay. I imagine part of it's where we put it. But then again, they they found an air, you know, found an aircraft carrier to film in in Leaveston. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we don't know much about the other ones they're opening, do we? No, I've only seen that they are opening. Because one of them is the one in America is set on Hogsmeade, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose they could do a diet. But then there's a diagonal alley now, of course, in. The studio, the studio tour. tour. But no, it would be nice to have a theme park here. Although it would probably be a bit different walking around in the rain. I think that's probably the studio tour's the closest we're going to get, yeah, I was, really. I was talking to my friend um, who works at the O2, and apparently they're looking to turn half of the O2 into a second Legoland. And we were like, why couldn't they just make that into a small Harry Potter theme park yeah. instead? Is Legoland really that popular that they need a second? <laughs> and so close to it as well, because the first one's only ones... just outside of London. But it's in Windsor, isn't it? The yeah. Legoland. I've been. I've been. I live quite close to there. Ah. I'm not in Cardiff, so... So, yeah, why do they need a second Legoland quite so close? I don't know. I suppose Lego is probably the only one with the money, I'd imagine. Probably. But uh... but then, considering what it rumoured to cost the studio tour, where you've uh, 100 million? 
rumoured, I think. Mm. I think it might be according to Wikipedia, but um, I'm fairly certain that it was a £100 million investment to change Leaveston, because obviously Leaveston is where they filmed, um, into the studio tour that exists now. How much does it cost to get in? Uh, it's £28 an adult, for, per adult. I can't remember what it is for children, and then there is a family ticket as well. But what one of my friends was saying, uh, who I've mentioned on the podcast before, Emma, who works for a Harry Potter fan site, was saying is that Warner Brothers has bigger plans for the studio tour set. The idea in the future is that there would be more sound stages from different movies. So I think there was rumoured to be, I want to say Batman, I might be wrong, Emma, you'll have to comment if I'm incorrect, but the idea would they have other sound stages with sets from other films, other Warner Brothers films. Yeah. So not, you would. that's why it's called Warner Brothers Studio Tour, Harry Potter Experience, rather than Harry Potter Studio Tour, because in the future the idea is that it'd be a Warner Brothers Studio Tour for more than one type of movie. Because they've I guess got that makes sense. Yeah, I mean they've got all that ground because it's a it's an abandoned aircraft hangar base, so it's only two sort of buildings, two sound stages that the Harry Potter ones on. They've got all the others, so they've got several other sound stages. So the idea is to make it much much bigger, which is probably why they're not using the land to do a theme park or something. But yeah, I mean, yeah, following a hundred million pound investment, and it's quite it, well, it's sold out for quite a few months now. I'm hoping to go back again. And see it actually completed because it wasn't quite completed when I went. So, uh, and you, I'm hoping to go at some point. Hoping to go, if not soon next year. The society are talking about doing a trip. Ah, uh, that's bit that'd be quite that'd be very very geeky. I imagine that trip. It'd be uh, mind you, I went with a group of Harry Potter fans as well. So uh, we are a Harry Potter. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yes, doesn't get much geekier than us. Actually, it probably does. Well, as geeky as us, if you put a group of Doctor Who fans together as well, actually probably just equally as bad. But um, So, obviously, J.K. Rowling's managed to take her books quite a long way. For seven main books and three companion books, she's now got eight films, uh, potentially three, at least, theme parks, um, a studio tour, an interactive website. Is that everything? Yes. Yeah. That's everything so far. She's Plus managed to take it. all the merchandise that you I know get. there is so much merchandise it's unbelievable I spent a fortune in the shop as our listeners already know so just before we decided to record this one I put our, we put on Facebook um, whether there was anything anyone wanted to, was, us to discuss as we were discussing Harry Potter and somebody did get in touch John Dent got in touch on Facebook to ask us whether we thought it's okay to retroactively add to your writing using press releases so we assume John that you mean um the information that JK released after the books were released, things like Dumbledore's uh, orientation, so the fact that Dumbledore's gay. Uh, we got a lot of who married who in the future. Yeah, and who went on to do what job. We got a few backstories and things in the press releases as well. I can't think of anything else. That's the main things that they... Yeah. So do we think it's okay? I, I'm okay with it. <laughs> I think you like the characters, you want to know more about them and... I think that's one way to do it because other than her writing like a book about the future mm. how else are we going to find out and that's the thing I mean she's been backed into a corner really there's no way she couldn't start releasing this information because especially if she had it in her mind yeah and we knew from a very early on that she had the extra information and I mean I suppose it, it helps probably not kill off some of the want for a, a next gen book but certainly maybe quieten some of the ones that want to know what happens next because also, I think, obviously, not a lot of people, well, 
not everybody likes the epilogue. I personally do like the epilogue, but that's because I'm a sucker for a happy ending. And I was more than happy with the way it ended. But there was no way she could get all the information that people wanted in the last book without just pointlessly adding, well, Harry went on to do this. And he married Ginny. And, you know, it was... You would have had so much useless information at the end that didn't fit with the storyline. But people still want to know it. I did think that was the thing. I didn't dislike the epilogue, but it left me wanting... Yeah. It wasn't a complete finishing off, and I think that's a, that's why she released some of that information, just to sort of round off what actually happened. Yeah, and I just, I don't know how she, how else she would have done it, really, because it doesn't fit. Unless you do a, you know, a proper, you do a long epilogue where you've actually got a scene where you can seamlessly bring in that Neville's a teacher at Hogwarts and, and things like that. In fact, they did, didn't they? They did say that. Yeah, yeah just, that's not a good example because they did actually bring that in. But unless like they can, carries an aura. yeah, unless they can do a, a natural scene where that brings that information in, it does look just tacked on. And I think she would have been, well, she's already hounded regularly for more information. It would have been even worse had she not released who married who and who had children and what they went on to do and things. In terms of it being released in press releases, I'm not too bothered. I, I think most Harry Potter fans just want the information. We don't really care how we get it. Although, actually, having just complained a lot about Potterball, <laughs> evidently we do we do care how we get it. But um, I don't care how I get the information as long as I can access the information. Yeah. I think it's more the issue there. Yeah, and she has got. I mean, she has got a lot of information in terms of the releasing that Dumbledore was gay. That was probably the, the most that was controversial. controversial one because that one wasn't provoked either. That one wasn't something you. It's it's not something di- someone direct. Well, it is something someone directly asked actually. But um, it's not something she's regularly asked. You know, you regularly get asked, well, where are your characters? Where would you see your characters now and things? But that one, she was directly asked, and I think it did cause a lot of shock. Do we think she's right to have left it out of the books? I don't see how she could have put it in the books without it seeming like, oh, here's a gay character. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is that I'm obviously a lot of the uproar was around the fact that, which we'll come back to in a few minutes, is that it's a children's book. And obviously it does put a different slight on Dumbledore and Harry's relationship. Um, and everyone gets a bit panicky about, you know, adult-child relationships that are inappropriate and enough said about that. But I think it's fine that she released it afterwards. I'm glad she didn't put it in the books. I think it would have caused even more problems. She was asked the question and she answered it. And the thing is, I mean, she didn't answer that... I don't think she actually answered he was gay. She answered that he was in love with... Grindelwald. Grindelwald. Um, thank you, Susan. I completely <laughs> forgot his name then. And it doesn't really bother me. I think once you know it, it's, you can see it in the books, but only really if you go looking for it. It would have got a bit stereotyped if you'd put it in. You would have ended up him being a stereotyped character, wouldn't you? But we knew all the films weren't out when we knew, were they? No. And thankfully, it didn't make a difference in the films either. But... So as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the idea that the Harry Potter books are children's books, because I don't agree. Do you? I think they started off as children books, but then they yeah became something more. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think they ended up. And I think she said herself, hasn't she? J.K. Rowling has said herself that it's not. It started as a children's book, but it's not by the end. No, but it's it's not also it's also not necessarily an easy book to read in the sense that they're incredibly dense books. So certainly the later ones, not just that they're long but the amount of information you get in them. 
I think when I started reading the books, I would have struggled with reading some of the later books just because it it's different. It's written different. Yeah. Rather than because of length. Because they actually get shorter. The fourth being the longest, they then get shorter after that. The fifth is the longest. Yes. Is it? But after that they get shorter, don't they? Yeah. Is the last one longer again, though? I can't remember. <laughs> but the fifth being the longest one. Which is your favourite? I'm spoon question on you now. <laughs> I, I always go with the third book when I'm asked this, and it's very hard to say why now. I hate saying why, because I just like all the books. Mm. I can tell you which is my least favourite. The second is my least favourite. My least favourite is either the second or the sixth. The sixth? That's an interesting choice. I didn't mind that one. I hate trying to think which my favourite one is, because it de- depends when you ask me. I think currently I'm still set on the seventh being my favourite, but there are parts of the seventh that are a bit drawn out. The camping. <laughs> yes, the endless camping scenes. But then there are also bits of the book that I really like, and I really like the balance she struck in the last book um, between killing people and the humour that you get in it as well. And not just humour from the twins as well. Yeah. Because that's usually, they're usually put in as the light relief. But So you don't quite know why you like the third one best. It, it's sort of like, it's an easy answer in some respects for me, because when I read it, I did really love it, and I do love Sirius's character. Yeah. And, but then I, but it was so long ago that I read it the first time that mm. now I don't know whether it's sort of just lots of things put together, mm. whether it's because I remember it being, really enjoying it when I read it. That's the thing, I think looking back now, you sometimes you like them just because they're nostalgic. Because it, it's over, what was it, over ten years that the books were written? Yeah. Um, I came to the series after one and two were out. I was the same. Because I, three onwards I have in hardback, the other two I've got in paperback. Well, my first one has fallen apart, in fact. Yeah, sometimes going back to read one is just nostalgia as well, more than anything else. Because it's several years ago since I first read it. And the characters are very different in the first as well. And it's a lot, it's a very different story in the first books, because they're they're much more self-contained. Yeah, there was a lot less, you know, drawing strings through all the Yeah, I mean, I think you know they're there later on, but certainly one, two and three are self-contained stories. There's a beginning, middle of an end and an end. There's a definite end. They run by the school year. Whereas four onwards, you end up with huge things left. Obviously, four sees the return of, of Voldemort anyway. So the story changes after that. And of course, it changes quite a lot then when you get to seven, when they don't actually go to school at all. And I'm glad that she did that. I'm glad she broke the mould with with book seven. I'm glad she didn't have them like going to school and trying to do it mm. through that because that was what had happened before. I think it was maybe brave to break mm. that mould but at the same time it was the right thing to do for that book. Yeah, it was the right thing to do I don't know necessarily it worked in all parts of the book because I think that's maybe why we ended up with quite so much endless camping um, and I think that's one of the benefits when you come to do the film is that you can do a lot less camping um, <laughs> or you can do You can sort of show that the Yeah, the same amount of camping in a shorter time, maybe that's more important. Do a montage. Yes, a camping montage <laughs> <laughs> but that was one thing I I was really hoping for in the film is that they did less camping but then there are scenes I really liked in the seventh book that they didn't do as well in the film to which brings us on to comparing the books and the films um quite nice this is going to be a long discussion this probably isn't yeah generally we both pick the books obviously but I do well I know people who 
really don't like films and only like books. But I'm quite happy to like both of them. People who know me, yeah. I'm quite happy to separate books and films. I'm, um, I can separate things quite easily in my brain. Like the six Star Wars films in two sets. <laughs> The, the good half and the... No, the the, just, just one trilogy and another trilogy. James, I can probably hear you shouting at me now that there are only three Star Wars films, but I'm more than happy to separate them in my head. The two aren't actually related, the two sets. Um, and things like that. I'm I'm fine with keeping the books as the books and the films as the films. Obviously, I can compare the two. But I'm generally a fan of the films. But to copy our questions about the books, which is your favourite film? I think probably the fourth film... I'd say it's sort of like, it strikes a balance, I find, between mm. being a good interpretation of the book, but still being enjoyable as a film. Mm. I quite like, I think, I possibly go with, I, again, I struggle with this question every time, because I love them all. I, I even quite like film two, Chamber of Secrets, even though I don't particularly like the book as, as I, much as the others. I hate that film, it's got <laughs> giant spiders in it. <laughs> yeah, no, the giant spiders aren't good, but the giant spiders were never going to be good, were they? So, uh, but... It's the small, creepy ones. It's not so much Aragog. That's fine. I can't deal with any of them. But I don't like the little crawly ones. Because I could even cope with Shelob in Lord of the Rings. But, um, okay, <laughs> Susie's now practically crawling away from me. So uh, I will change the subject <laughs> from spiders. I think probably five, Order of the Phoenix. I really liked what they did with that film. I think, again, same as with Seven, really. They handled some bits in the films. The bits I didn't necessarily like in the book. Like, there's a lot of shouting and a lot of capitals in the beginning of Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> And even I will admit that if I'm reading Order of the Phoenix again, I sometimes skip the beginning bit and skip to when they actually go to school. Because there's a lot of shouting from Harry and there's a lot of... Which I think is done better in... Well, it's just easier to do it in the film because you just don't do it. You just don't have continual caps lock. No, you just have him shout a bit. Although it does make me laugh that in Order of the Phoenix there is one scene where Fred and George apparate in and say, stop shouting, Harry, and he's not actually shouting. Yeah, which I did that, that did work better in the book because he's... <laughs> He was yeah. shouting. I think many. it would have been better oh. had they had him shouting. But um, the whole feel of the fifth movie is quite is quite good. The music particularly was very good in, in five. Um, and also I think Imelda Staunton did an amazing job at playing Umbridge because I can't stand her. Yeah. Which is what you want from Umbridge. <laughs> I think she did really, really well at playing her. So I think five is probably... I don't know which one would be my least favourite film, actually. It's really difficult. I might actually go with the sixth one. Again, I, don't, I just don't the like the sixth much. You just, yeah, clearly you don't like. I don't like second, but again, I just don't like the second story. There's lots of spiders in it. I'm not really sure fan of spiders, but but generally, in terms of what they did with the films, do you think they did a good job? I think they did a good job. I think they could have done it a lot worse. Yeah, I think that's the thing. This is basically exactly what we said in the Hunger Games. Yeah. <laughs> they could have done a lot worse. I think they were in a, a lose-lose situation in some ways because it's never going to suit everybody. I think they got they certainly got better. I think the last two films were very good, mm-hmm. even from a perspective of, with regards to the books, I thought they were very yeah. well interpreted. Mm-hmm. I think this is the thing. I think the longer the films, the later films, they started using more of the actual books in the sense of actually using you know, words verbatim. Yeah. which the geeky me really likes because I know most of them word for word. So, And they actually use whole lines and whole passages from the book, which I really liked, which they didn't do so much in the earlier films. Again, I like the earlier films because of nostalgia and looking yeah. at them. Tiny, tiny, tiny... <laughs> tiny you know, round faces. Yes, and very you know high voices from um, Dan and Rupert, but uh, and lots of hair from Emma Watson. I think 
in terms of as a fan, I think the later films are better. There's more there, and I just like the the fact that I mean, similar to a lot of the other ones, like a lot of the comic book ones, comic book adaptation films, and the Lord of the Rings and things like that, and the Hunger Games. You can tell that the writers are, fa- are fans, and yeah. you know, the the crew are obviously fans because you get the little things in there that you only notice if you're a big fan. So I think one of the things that comes to mind in um, book, I want to say book seven, I probably could be wrong here, the scene when they're in Grimmauld Place, when they're running away, um, you know, they've, they've fled from the wedding. Um, you get the scene where they're asleep on the, the sofas in the room and you've got Hermione with her hand dangling off near Ron, who's sleeping on the floor. Yeah, that actually the fact was that in they the... were, and that's actually in the book, but it's but completely... Harry wakes up and sees the hands and thinks there. that they fell asleep yeah. holding hands, and it's completely irrelevant to anyone that hasn't read the books, but to people like us who can call that up to memory quite easily. Um, I like the tidbits like that that they put in, um, and things like Ron complaining that his jeans are too tight and he can't get his wand out of his pocket. It's things like that that you can tell that these people who are writing this and directing this film are fans, which just makes it more enjoyable because then, you know, strange, geeky people like us uh, do recognise those bits. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, they do do them in other films and I just, I like those little additions, which I don't think you get so much in the first couple of films. But then they weren't as big then. No. You know. It, uh, like the first film, they didn't know if it was going to... No, they didn't know they were going to make eight films, did they? Because at that point, I mean, how many were out? Probably four? Four, five. Four, yeah. Yeah, I the don't fifth think... one came out in 2003. Yeah, I don't think Lord of the Phoenix was out. So they probably know, well, it was obviously going to be big enough that they'd fund the movies. But So on the subject of the films, so obviously there are only seven books, but there are actually now eight films. What's your opinion on them splitting the seventh into two films? I can see why they did it. I know part of it was money, but at the yeah. same point, I think the seventh book is quite complex and it's good to have all those stuff so that you can tie it all up and if you have to split it into two films to get it all in. Yeah, I quite like the idea. I was concerned when we first heard they were splitting it because I thought that meant they were going to put more of the camping in. I'm really <laughs> against the camping because I was when we f- I read the last book in a group at some stupid time in the morning with a group of the girls from society uh, and we all came to the end of it and said and we all thought that we'd, they'd be able to do it in one movie that there was a lot you know there was a lot that you could easily cut out mainly the camping scenes and sort of a lot of the time planning in Grimmauld Place as well and you could cut all that out and stuff then of course they announced that they were going to do it in two films so it was a bit worrying that they might do all that stuff that didn't need to be in there but I think it worked for them because they were able to then do the big scenes really big I think because in the book the final battle was not that long like chapter wise it was only a few chapters mm, whereas... it wasn't well, it was, was it one? one or two the chapter called the Battle of Hogwarts yeah but I feel yeah. like if it's a battle, it needs to be done big yeah. on the screen. I think that's the thing. It's a lot easier, obviously, to do it on the screen because you can. And I think they did do it justice. Yeah. I personally hate the scene where Voldemort and Harry throw themselves off the tower. That's awful. <laughs> I do not know why they put it in. I wish they'd take it out um, because that's just pointless. I don't know why they do that. Um... It was a way to get them to the ground. Yeah, but... <laughs> I know, yeah, but just, I don't know. That's Run down not, some stairs. Yeah. Take a note from Doctor Who and run. I just hated that. And the whole, the line, let's finish this the way we started this, just you and me. It's just, I know I know the line off by heart, but then I know most of the lines off by heart. So I just, that was just really naff. And I don't know why they did it. But other than that bit, 
Um, I think they did it quite well. But how do you think the final face-off between Harry and Voldemort compares to the book? In the book, there was a lot more people around. Yes, that's true. It was, it was a more public thing. I, I think in the book it was slightly more confused the way it happened, like because there was other stuff happening at the same time, mm. and you didn't really. Whereas in the film, it just focused in on the two of them. I didn't like the fact that he just sort of vaporized or. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's. It was quite graphic, actually. The way he just sort of well, he disintegrated, didn't he? Yeah. Really? It's a little bit of floating... Floating Voldemort, yes. I prefer the scene in the books, but whether I think that scene could have been done in the films. I think the films, they went for the obvious, lots of flashing lights, lots of sort of close-up shots of the two of them, and, you know, they're both on their knees trying to kill each other. But there was no real emotional depth in that final scene between the two of them. Whereas I think in the books, they did it really well. I really like that final scene. I really like... Harry's a lot different in the books than in the final because he's a lot more calm. He's a lot more. It make he, he suddenly realised what the point is, and he's like, I the bit I really really like is that he calls him Tom, which of course is something we've only ever seen Dumbledore do. Yeah. Otherwise, everyone's always called him. I mean, Harry called him Voldemort, which is fine, but it was Voldemort that used to call him by his his given Christian name, and you don't get that banter. You don't get that discussion. Obviously you get a lot more explanation as well in that final scene because that's the bit where he explains the wands um, and to Harry's original, or Lily's original sacrifice and what happened then. Because as well in that, in the book, Harry talks about how sacrificing himself protects all the others. All the that's other why none of his stick is uh, Voldemort's or Death Eater's spells find their victims. Um, the um, silencing spell wears off Neville. You get a lot more explanation and I wonder whether the film makes sense to people who haven't read the books because you don't get that explanation. I always find that with the film, so it's like, would this actually make sense mm. to someone who hadn't read the books? And I try and work it out every time I go and see the film, and I cannot do it. I know far too much about the Harry Potter series to actually even comprehend the idea of watching the films not knowing anything. Yeah. I just can't do it. I can't quite get my head around it. And listeners, if you are people who have have only seen the films and not read the books please get in touch and let us know what it's actually like because I have no idea because I can't do it because I know too much about Harry Potter but I just wonder whether it makes sense because it makes sense to me but that's because I already know the ending I'm sure I'm sure there are some bits that wouldn't quite make sense I guess not important bits maybe but no but I think yeah there are lots of bits that people who haven't read the book won't get but then in the later ones there are bits things like what happens with the Elder Wand and what happens with the Horcruxes, they're two completely new concepts. Yeah. Do they make sense? Because, I mean, even reading the books, it takes you, it takes a while to get round your head around the idea of how the Elder Wand passes. The idea of the Horcruxes is a bit easier to grasp. But even reading the books, you have to go back and think, how does this actually work again? And I was like, how do you actually get that across in film? And does it actually make sense to anybody? The answer is I don't know, because uh, <laughs> it makes sense to me. But... Um, I went to see the films with, I went to see the uh, 7.1, so the first, so seventh movie yeah. out of the eight, um, with my mum. And because one of the things they introduced in that film is the mirror, the mirror yeah. shard. I, I found that. Has got no mention anywhere else. And I was thinking that's not going to make sense to anybody. 
But when I, when we came out of the movie, my mum actually said to me, oh, well, it's Dumbledore's brother that she, that he sees in the mirror. Now, I don't know how my mum worked that out. My mum doesn't know how she worked that out because my mum's only ever read as far as book three. Mm. So somehow, one, she knows Dumbledore's got a brother and that it's him in the... So I don't... <laughs> so maybe it is more obvious than I think. Or maybe my mum's just a good guess. But it's things like that where they just drop them in later on. You're like, well, does that make any sense now? I think as well because they split the seventh one into two and they mm. added some extra things that weren't really like the tower scene. introduced before. Mm. I think it's we when we it was announced that they were going to split it, there was a lot lots of speculation as to where they would split it. Yes. Now I guessed right that they would split it after Malfoy Manor, but what did make me wonder is why they added the scene of Voldemort breaking into the tomb because that actually takes place a lot later on. Because if you take that, that scene, that that's, happened just before the battle. That ha- yeah, it happens just before the battle because yeah. it's from there that he goes straight to Hogwarts. But for some reason, they pull that forward. I assume to make an impact at the end of the first movie because that you get that whole scene where he yeah, lightning, lightning, <laughs> and things. It's very Thor esque. <laughs> but I assume they did it just for the impact. But then they repeated it at the beginning of the second movie, and then they picked the, the timeline up from where it carries on in the books. Yeah, you know, at Shell Cottage, which is the scene after the Malfoy Manor scene. So I assume they just did it for effect, but you didn't really need it. But obviously it's him stealing the Elder Wand, but that doesn't take place until quite a bit later on, actually. And I just didn't, didn't really know why they put it there. But I don't think you really needed that dramatic I know. Finish. Dobby's just died, that's enough for me. Well, that's why I was thinking, why didn't they just end it there? Because you don't have to end them all on a dramatic note. I mean, if you look at the, I mean, the Lord of the Rings once come to mind, obviously... People know they weren't going to... Well, except my granddad who went to see it and went, got to the end of the first film and went, is that the ending? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a trilogy, so there are two more. But majority of people who went to see Harry Potter knew that this was the first part, you know, because it was... Well, it was advertised as Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. Yeah. So I don't know that you needed the dramatic end. You could have ended on Dobby dying. On the subject of Dobby dying, um, did you like Dobby's death? Did you like Dobby's little speech? I I did. I I like the fact that because in the books he just sort of he just sort of dies. dies. Whereas I think his death is quite. I cried the first time I saw it. Yeah, I I was pretty upset. I didn't about cry it. when I when he died in the book though. I don't really remember whether I cried in the book or not. I don't think I did, unless I did because it was four in the morning and I was sleep deprived. <laughs> but um, I quite liked his little speech. Obviously, one of the things that does mark the seventh book out from, different from the others is that J.K. kills a lot more people in the seventh yes. book. Um, do you think she killed too many? Or do you think she should have killed more? And if so, who? I think there's... Like, on one side, I understand that it's a war and she's showing that in a war a lot of people die. Mm. But at the same point, sort of by the end, I got desensitised to the deaths. Mm. Like, when... Fred died, even though the Weasley twins are kind of my favourite characters. Mm. I didn't cry, because mm. it was another death in a series of deaths. Yeah. I didn't cry at Fred's death. I cried at Fred's death in the films. Yeah. Because it's the family scene towards the end. that Not his actual death, but the family scene at the end. I think she was brave, because I'm glad she killed people, and I'm sure James is agreeing with me, because he likes everyone to die in things, <laughs> but I think I'm glad she killed off people. I'm glad she killed a Weasley. Although I love the Weasleys, I'm glad she killed one of them. And of course, if you aren't aware, listeners, originally the character, the father character, Arthur, would have died. Yeah. Um, and it was because she saved him 
that she killed Tonks. <laughs> that she killed Tonks and Lupin. Now, I don't know, what, what do you think about Tonks and Lupin's death? Because I think it was, although I'm not, it's sad that they died and I'm not too bothered that she, I think it's good that she made the step to kill them. But the way she killed them, she kills them off screen. Yeah. Off page. <laughs> Whatever the equivalent is. Whatever the equivalent is in book. But they die off screen. And in the film they die off screen, don't they, as yeah. well? And I just think, I was surprised she killed both of them. I didn't think she'd do it. Because I didn't think she'd lead, she'd leave Teddy as a, an orphan. Although she then says it so that it went round full circle. Yeah, I know, but why? You didn't need to. I, I don't think, I think they were. Killing both of them was unnecessary. I think killing Lupin, I could understand, because yeah, that well, sort of think... completes the set, as it were. Well, it does, it completes the set that all the Marauders died. Yeah, and also like when Harry goes into the forest and... Yeah, and he's, there yeah. he's one of the other parent figures. But yeah, I don't think you necessarily needed to kill but Tonks. I'm not so sure. Unless you were already a Tonks fan, I don't think people were bothered that Tonks had died. And the no. main thing was that she killed them off screen. I think some of the deaths she does well. I think she did Hedwig. She did well. Yeah, I was. I know. Yeah, a lot of people were crying at the death of Hedwig. I also like the way that she she gets death in there a lot easier in this one. So you have very early on the first character to die is Charity Burbage. Yeah. And that was very unlike JK's writing because that's the first and only time we hear that, that character referenced. Yes. Because usually you don't ever have a character written in that way unless you've heard of them before. So even if you're looking at like the, the initials R.A.B., earlier in the book you've already heard of Regulus Black. Yeah. And things like that. You've already heard of Nicholas Flamel before he becomes important and things like that. Charity Burbage, we don't hear about until the point where she's in the scene where she dies. So she throws a lot more characters at the book seven. And like she kills off Colin Creevy and things like that. I mean, characters like that, you're just like, well, you're just killing people for fun now, aren't we? I think she kills enough people. Do you think she should have killed one of the trio? Properly killed one of the trio. Obviously, she partially killed Harry. Yeah, I, I was expecting it. And I think maybe it would have been more effective. Who, though? Who would she have killed? That is, that is the only problem. Like, I thought she was going to actually kill Harry off. Yeah? Yeah. I hadn't quite made um, the decision. I couldn't actually... It was too heartbreaking to actually comprehend at that point as to w- whether she would or not. I think the main thing was it coming to an end, so it, it didn't really matter one way or another. But I guess a lot of people thought she might kill off Ron. Ron would be the easier one to kill yeah. in the sense that he's he's the less obvious, obviously useful one, if that makes sense. Yeah. He's almost the well, he's the Xander Harris for Buffy fans of um, of Harry Potter, in that he has a very important use, but it's a lot more ob- it's a lot less obvious. So Hermione is the brains; she's the you know. Whereas Ron, you know, is I don't really know what you'd call Ron, but so I think Ron would be the easier one to kill. I think it would have been an interesting dynamic had they killed Hermione, because I think the boys relied on Hermione a lot more than they realised. Yeah. So what would happen if had they killed her off? Obviously, she partially kills Harry. I don't think she she would have been mobbed had she killed Harry. Properly killed him. Yeah. As opposed to yeah, what she actually did. In terms of the Weasleys, I think she made a good choice in who she killed. I think it had to be one of the twins. I don't... I, I know you're very upset about Fred dying. I don't think... Unless she killed Ron, killing any of the other Weasleys wouldn't have had the impact that Fred did. I think if you killed either of the parents, it wouldn't have been... I think certainly if you killed... Bill, Charlie, or Percy. I think I it think would have been irrelevant. Yeah. I think the only way was possibly Ginny, but more than I think killing one of the twins. It was a, a good, if heartbreaking, choice. 
obviously Arthur would have died originally, which Arthur dying would have changed a lot because Arthur would have died, for listeners who don't know, he would have died when he was attacked by the snake in fifth in book. the fifth book. So that would have been a very early death. We don't we didn't have many deaths earlier in the series. Well, Sirius was... Sirius was the end of the fifth. End of the fifth. And so the only one you have up until that point is Cedric at the end of four. And Cedric, again, he's not a character you're particularly attached to. The impact was the fact that somebody died, not so much who he was. Sorry, Hufflepuffs out there. You included, (laughs) Susie. Uh, Cedric, um, plus he had to be killed because he had to go on and be a sparkly vampire. (laughs) But it would have changed it a lot had they killed such a an important character that early on, I think. Which is possibly why she didn't kill him. Yeah. I'd love to know her think her thinking about how not killing him meant that Fred and Tonk- uh, Tonks and Lupin had to die. But I suppose we might never know the, the inner workings of J.K. Rowling's mind. Although it'd be very interesting to know. I think she killed enough people. I don't know who else she would have killed. I wouldn't want... I wouldn't have wanted her to kill any more people. I think I she killed think... enough important characters. Which, again, I'm glad she did, and I think it's good that she did. I am glad I that she killed some characters. I don't know if anyone has read The Inheritance Cycle. Um, I've heard of it. Aragorn and ah, yes. that lot. And in the final battle, no one important dies, and I feel like he chickened out of killing someone. Yeah. And I think I said the same on this podcast before about the... I finally read the last Twilight book, Breaking Dawn. Yeah. And again, you have a big battle... Battle. Well, I say battle. Yes. Air quotes. Battle with air quotes. Okay, it's not a big battle in, but you have a battle, and nobody dies. Like no, no. not even. Okay, no. So one unimportant person dies. The um the newly made vampire girl whose name is Bree. I want to say might make that up. She dies, but I'm not too bothered about her. Nobody dies, and yeah. it's really irritating because you're like, well, especially as that's the last book in your series, just kill someone for goodness sake. If you're going to have magical battles, you have to yeah, cause, kill someone. Because even if you have magical battles and the people are a lot more capable of fighting, it's a different level of fighting. They're, they're fighting equals. Yeah. So people should still die. In normal wars, people die. Yeah. And it's annoying that they don't keep kill people. And I'm sure there are more examples of, of people chickening out and not killing people when they should. But I think that's one thing she doesn't do. I don't think she did chicken out. I think she did no. kill. She was never going to be popular with who she killed. Unless she there killed. are always going to be some fans of yeah, whoever you kill. Dobby, obviously, there are a lot of Dobby fans out there. There are a lot of Hedwig fans out there. There are a lot of Tonks and Lupin. Well, there's a lot of fans of everyone, really. But um, I don't think there are many characters that don't have... No, I mean, I know huge Snape fans, so... Uh, yeah. Snape's death was quite gruesome in the films as well. Yeah. Killed God, by Nagini. Which, of course, isn't how it happens in the book, but it's still quite gruesome on the film. So, I've no idea how to wrap this podcast up because we could ha- quite happily carry on. Sitting I, I here. could continue talking <laughs> for a while more. But um, that's sort of a whistle stop tour of some of our thoughts on Harry Potter. We know far too much about Harry Potter than Shaw is healthy, I'm sure. Um, but listeners, please get in touch if you have any thoughts to share. Are you a fan of the books, uh, not of the films? Or, in fact, are you a fan of the films and never read the books? Please get in touch and let us know what it's actually like to not have read the books because I cannot comprehend what that would actually be like. So please get in touch and tell us and then go read, go away and read the books because <laughs> <laughs> they are better than the films. And get in touch if you have anything to ask, Something that does, if you have only seen the films and something doesn't make sense, please get in touch. And I, well, Susie and I will endeavour to, uh, we can probably explain most things. I think so. I reckon between us we can probably manage it. There is a reason why 
we're two sad people who are president of uh, the Harry Potter Society. So, yes, get in touch if you've got any questions. But just generally let us know what you think. Have you, are you one of the lucky few who has been to the theme park and or the studio tour? Do you think we should have a theme park like Susan thinks in uh, in England or in Europe? So, yeah, uh, please get in touch on in the usual way, either on Twitter or on Facebook or uh, by our email. And we'll try and get back to your feedback in our next points of who so uh, thank you for listening to Susie and I ramble on I'm sure Susie will find some excuse to get you back again for something I'm sure we can find something else for you to discuss start doing like comic books or something I know well we do do some comic books and actually on the subject of comic books um, we finished our last points of who um, I was dashing off to meet you yourself actually Susie to watch the Avengers very briefly because I know you're a huge Avengers <laughs> fan and she'll get very excited what did you think of the Avengers film I was very happy with it <laughs> We've actually just been to see it again last night as well, yeah. haven't we, Susie? But um, is that all you're going to say? I I could talk for hours. You could about, carry on about that as well. I think it was very well done. I think it was very Joss Whedon. It was very Joss Whedon. Thank you, Joss Whedon. That's a good thing that it was that good. <laughs> it was very him in the way that it deals with lots of big characters coming together. Yeah. And very well. And you're a huge fan of Loki. Yes. <sighs> <sighs> um, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, we may discuss it again. But we do do some comic book stuff. But um, on that matter, get in touch if you want us to do more. And if so, what comic books can we cover? I'm sure Susie could probably give me a list, but we won't do that right now. (laughs) I can only do Marvel ones. Oh dear, we've got listeners who are hardcore DC fans. In fact, we have one one listener who is so hardcore DC that she won't see the Avengers. Because it's Marvel. (laughs) That wouldn't stop you, though, would it? uh... (laughs) I'll still go see Batman. (laughs) Oh, but... uh... Anyway, we've completely got off track. So thank you for listening to, like I said, Susie and I witter on um, about Harry Potter and please get in touch. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to The Impossible Podcast. For more Doctor Who commentaries, plus other science fiction and fantasy reviews and discussions, please visit our website, impossiblepodcasts.blogspot.com, or search for us on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us via impossiblepodcasts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>